When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm so glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you have. There's a big change in the rules governing how debt collection works in the United States. The rules were just published after a lot of arguments about how the new rules would work. And it's key that you know, because the guess is somewhere about one in three of us have a debt that is in the hands of a debt collector. Historically, we've talked about debt collection under an old law called the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act that has the rules, the guidelines, on how a collector can contact you, when he or she can contact you, what things they can and can't do when they do contact you. Uh, A couple of examples, they cannot legally threaten to kill you, physically harm you. Can you believe I have to say that stuff? They can't threaten that they can jail you. Um, All these are things that we've heard from people that they've been harassed in those ways by debt collectors, especially by being told they'd be jailed. And in addition, the rights you have if a debt collector is continually calling you, you have the right under the law to tell them they can't contact you any further. That tell to them has to be done in writing, but once you have notified a debt collector, although many violate this, they are not ever allowed to contact you again other than to tell you what legal action they might be taking against you. The idea of it and the reason the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act went into effect was people being harassed by sleazy debt collectors and it's a tough job let me tell you and there are lots of debt collectors the majority that do things as they should but then in turn there are those that really play dirty with you and that's what this is about is having the rules about how many times they can contact you if they can contact you once you have notified them not to no they can't And in addition, and I have a drop-dead letter on Clark.com that you can send a debt collector that is about the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act. Once you've sent it, they are not supposed to bother you again. Again, it doesn't mean they can't sue you. It doesn't mean you don't owe the debt. But that was how the thing worked, was when a debt collector wanted to contact you, they could write you or they could call you. Well, now, under new rules, a debt collector can text you a zillion times a day if they want. They can email you repeatedly. They can use any electronic means, including social media, to hassle you. But the rules also allow you, with any of these forms of what's being referred to as electronic communications, 
to also tell them, to notify them that they need to stop hassling you. Again, that has nothing to do with whether you owe a debt, and it has nothing to do with whether a collector might sue you against that debt. You also have to know that so far, the feds have done nothing about one of the ugliest practices in debt collection from sleazy collectors, and that is suing you on what's known as time-barred debt. Each state has statutes of limitations on how long you were subject to lawsuit about a debt. Well, the collection industry has taken advantage of busy courts. Uh, again, not all collectors, those that play dirty, and have been suing people against debts that legally they have no right to collect because of how long it's been. But because people don't know if they don't go to court and answer, and the only answer you have to give in that case is that the debt is outside of statute of limitations, in which case the collector immediately says, okay, let's remove that, that um, lawsuit. But if you don't show up, which most people don't show up, a default judgment is entered against you, even on debt that is ancient. Now, none of this is about you not paying debts that you owe if you have the money. If you have the money, you want to pay a debt. And there are certain procedures. You'll hear me when I talk to somebody about paying a debt that you should follow to protect yourself when you pay it. But everything about the new rules, which, by the way, is unreal, 653 pages long. So if you do start getting hassled by a collector by text, email, or social media, they are required in the notifications to you by any of those to provide you a simple method where you opt out from being bothered any of those ways. How that will play out in the weeks and months ahead, don't know yet, but I want you to know you have rights to not be harassed by a debt collector. And remember, any debt collector that threatens to kill you, physically harm you, as we've had calls take your children away from you, or put you in jail, know that all those things are extremely illegal, and I recommend that you notify the collector in states where it's required and don't in others and record a collector saying stuff like that to you. Very important that somebody who makes terroristic threats to you is brought to justice. It's time for your questions for me at clark.com slash ask. Producers Kim and Joel take turns. And Kim, what you got? All right. Today we're starting with Thomas in North Carolina. Thomas says, I currently have investment accounts at all three of your suggested low-cost brokerage firms. In an effort to simplify life, I'm considering putting everything under one roof. From an investment perspective, you constantly say, diversify, diversify, diversify. So does this ring true when it comes to financial services, or is it safe to have all of my investments with one firm? It's safe for you to have all of your investments with Schwab, Fidelity, or Vanguard. And it's just a matter, each of them are 
even though they're all the big low-cost shops, it's really a choice among the three based on what things you're looking for from an investment firm. In the case of Vanguard, over time, consistently the lowest cost company to have your money with, but basically no frills. You know, it's even, we've talked about recently, it's even hard to call somebody there. Um, So it really is about being with the lowest cost outfit. With Schwab and Fidelity, they both are much more hands-on with you with a variety of things you can do physically in offices, over the phone, um, and all the other methods, including a wider variety of products and services offered to you. So it's really all about what you need and which one of these three firms, if you consolidate, best meets those needs. Joel? Clark Alex in California says, thanks for all you do. I plan on being an apartment renter when I retire. Do you think I'll have any problem getting landlords to rent to me? When I retire, my sources of income will be Social Security and my investment income. I'm estimating that the total will be about $50,000 a year after taxes. Will landlords hassle me if I say I have that kind of income with no job? And is there a workaround for this? No, they're not going to hassle you at all because they know that Social Security check comes every month, where a paycheck, as we found out this year, can stop at any time for any reason. So you have a steady source of income. The most uh, important factor other than that when you're renting an apartment is making sure your credit is tip-top. Your, uh, how you handle your credit, your credit score, that's really, really an important thing in renting an apartment. It has more to do with what kind of security deposit requirements you may face and whether or not a landlord looks at you as a good risk to rent to even more than the income that you can demonstrate. Kim? Dara in Maryland says, I'm newly engaged and I'm wondering what strategies you would recommend for managing finances together as a couple. What methods do you suggest for maintaining checking, savings, paying bills, and so on? I'm 25 and my fiance is 27 and we have no debt besides our mortgage for a home that we purchased together. And we also follow your advice for an emergency fund and Roth IRAs. I think we manage our money relatively well as individuals currently splitting all of our mutual bills and we communicate transparently about our finances, but we're unsure how we should transition to married life and truly marrying our money. This is a wonderful question, and I'm so excited for you that you enter into this marriage where your finances are so together, you've been so good at communicating with each other about them, and in your case, it's going to be easy. Because usually what I hear with a couple getting married is when somebody posts a question, it'll be about very different attitudes about money, one from another, or one has had a really good Uh, financial history and the other may have uh, you know credit trouble that kind of thing so in your situation uh, getting married mid to late 20s I would recommend that you do some of what you've already been doing and that is that you have your accounts his accounts and then a joint account 
so that when you are paying a common bill, you each put money into a common account that I guess you could call the house account for things involved with running the household, the mortgage, utilities, other expenses that are joint. And then over the years, you may find that there's not as much desire on your parts to have uh, separate funds for each of you and then a house account, but that will come with time. My wife and I have been married 25 years now, and we still have his accounts, her accounts, and then a joint account. And that's what's worked best for us. In each couple, you have to find what works best for you. Joel? Clark Colleen in Georgia says, I've had three proposals for crawl space encapsulation on my home. They are all in the approximately the same price range of about eleven dollars to $12,000. What's the best way to decide which contract to use when the prices are so close? What should I be thinking about? So the best course I can give you in a situation that's so difficult is to decide between three very similar price quotes is to ask for references from all three companies and not just a couple. You want to see jobs that they've done in a recent time period. But today also what's easier is to look online and put in the name of each of the companies and look for reviews that people have posted about them. And don't, don't just look at star ratings or anything like that. Actually read reviews and see if you can come to a good sense of which of these three that are priced so similarly would be the one that you improve the odds is going to give you the best service who will do the job the best. There is no ironclad perfect way to do this. It's the best way I know. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Patrick is with us on the Clark Howard Show. And Patrick, you are really good at saving money and investing money, but you have it all over the place. I do, Clark. Thank you for taking my call. Certainly. You're getting overwhelmed by statements coming once a month from everywhere, huh? That and just uh, when it's time to move money around or add money to different accounts, it's just they're they're everywhere and it's getting to be a little bit too much. So, you know, that always makes me nervous, particularly with people who have older 401ks that, that from different employers where they lose track of them and um, yeah. they can actually end up in rare cases, ending up losing the money. Um, what kind of accounts do you have too many of? Well, I have a, an old traditional 401k from a company that I contributed to for about 11 years. I stopped contributing to that about three years ago. Through my new company, I have a Roth uh, 401k that I do actively contribute 12% to right now. Uh, have a, a savings account just a, for the rainy day fund, uh, with about 35000 in it. 
uh, checking. Uh, I have three little children. I try to put money aside uh, for them as well. So each one of them have their own savings account at my credit union. And then uh, I have a small money market account with an international checking account that I use for work. And uh, it, and they're all at different places. And wow. it, it just gets to be a little bit difficult. So you, I feel you like have, I have kind a of, of a part time job. And- Keeping track of all these things. Yeah. The, the one yeah. move that, yeah. that seems obvious to me is if you were to roll over your old 401k into your active one, even though it's uh-huh. a Roth, there's an employer match, right? Uh, yes, there is. Yeah, so you've got both Roth and traditional. If the current plan accepts uh, rollovers from old 401k plans, that would be a simplification where you get all that 401k money together. If the provider of your current 401k is a low-cost one, that would be a potential good move for you to do. Okay. Uh, um, as, far as, you having, as far as you having savings accounts for your three children, you got the money market, uh, it doesn't sound to me like you've got too much complexity. Okay. This doesn't sound too bad. And, you know, you think about, you were able to tell me everything you had in about 30 seconds. That's not too bad. Okay, well, that's good. But the one move that seems clear to me is going from the two 401ks, the old one and the new one, to just one, the current one, is a way of simplifying your life. And the moves you made don't seem at all randomized or haphazard. So uh, I've heard much more complicated than what you've got. The great news is you're saving all this money. It's my pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. And this week is not only election week, It's also a huge week for saving money on Christmas shopping. Uh, The first wave of big sales starts this Wednesday. Bigger sales come up on Saturday. But this is going to be a key time period for doing Christmas shopping for others or for things you want for yourself. We're going to keep you up to date at Clark Deals on all the bargains. This is also the week that a lot of companies start open enrollment for their health care coverage. Others may start next week, but we're in open enrollment season, if you will. And if you are one of the individuals who has to buy your own health coverage, healthcare.gov is active now for the next six weeks for buying an individual plan that's what's known as compliant, that pre-existing conditions are covered as are major illnesses like cancers and um, diabetes and things like that, that heart disease that may not be covered by what I call junk insurance policies. So with either an individual plan or through an employer, certainly with an individual plan, and depending on your employer, likely now you can buy a health coverage plan that makes you HSA eligible, health savings account eligible. This is a concept as we have had questions about it all through the years, has been one that's made people's eyes kind of glaze over, but there's real money potentially on the table for you 
through setting up an HSA. So first, you have to have what's known as a qualifying plan, has a deductible of $1,400 for you as an individual, or if you buy coverage for your family, the deductible has to be $2,800. As many of us have experienced in recent years, hitting those deductibles with most health plans, not that hard. And so by that I mean the health plans that are offered to us by most employers will have deductibles that large, and plans you buy as an individual almost always will have deductibles that large. So that triggers your eligibility for this special account that people who are into taxes and money believe is superior to the 401k you're offered at work, the Roth IRAs you hear me yap about, because an HSA allows you to put aside money each year that can grow tax-free all through the years and typically you will get a deduction up front for putting money in an HSA, have it grow tax-free and spend the money tax-free. So an individual who's buying coverage for himself or herself is allowed to contribute up to 3600 bucks into an HSA unless they're 55 and older. So a little different than the 50 and over rule for IRAs or 401ks. If you're 55 or over, you're allowed to put $4,600 away. If you have family coverage, $7,200. So why would you do this? Okay, so remember, you get an upfront tax deduction, typically. The money grows tax-free for all through the years till you use it whichever year that is, and then the earnings on it, when you use the money, tax-free. So it's what accountants refer to as a triple tax-free thing, where a lot of retirement savings are what are known as double tax-free. So if you are someone who has a good rainy day account, an HSA becomes even more powerful for you, because as you put money into it, if you let it alone and pay the deductibles you have and bills you have for medical, if you can afford to out of your own funds each year, then the HSA just keeps growing tax-free. In retirement, as you age in retirement, medical becomes a bigger and bigger part of your cost of living. So if you, through your working years, have invested the HSA money, and it grows in those investments, and then much later in life you spend it on those medical bills, you have now paid for medical with funds you put away long ago, and you pay those medical bills pre-tax, tax-free. So almost no one invests their HSA money. One estimate I saw recently was only 5% of people with an HSA invest it. They don't even know how to do that is I've shared with you in the past, my two favorite places for you to invest that money are number one, Fidelity Investments, and number two, Lively. They both have very, very low-cost plans available for investing HSA money. You do not invest your HSA money if you plan to use it in current or near-current years for paying medical bills because it's too short a window to invest. Otherwise, you just go into 
uh, the equivalent of a savings account in an HSA. But if you are someone who can let that money build over the years, you don't want it sit in savings, you want it invested, and a lot of the insurance companies offer horrendously terrible, high-cost plans for investing HSA money, that's why you want it at Fidelity or at Lively. Remember, insurance companies are incredibly awful choices for any form of investing for the future, investing for retirement, or investing your HSA funds. Insurers are great for providing protection for your automobile, your house, and your life. And, well, I guess that's about it. It's time for your questions you posted for me at clark.com slash ask. Producers Kim and Joel alternate. Kim? All right, this is from Tanner in Georgia. Tanner says, how can I make sure that my charitable donations are being used for their intended purpose? What a wonderful question. And I love this question as we move into the Christmas season when the already unbelievably generous American people open up their wallets and their hearts even more during the Christmas season. So there are a lot of um, sleazoids that come out of the woodwork that are fake charities or those that do a terrible job with the money you donate that sound like great causes but really scarf up massive amounts of the money for fundraising overhead or administrative overhead, not for service delivery. So your question's very timely. There are three go-to guides for national charities where you can see essentially who is legit and who spends the money that you give efficiently. One of them is give.org, another is charitywatch.org, and the third is charitynavigator.org. And so all three of these do a focus on the national charities. For local charities that fall under this kind of radar net, it's harder for you to know who really is efficient and on the up and up. And my default with local charities is give to organizations that you've volunteered at, that you have uh, semi-insider information on, the work they do and how well they do it, organizations you have been connected to in some way, an organization you're a member of is an example that does good works. But be careful with any organizations that you can't third-party get reference on or don't have your own ability to have a frame of reference on how good they are with the money they give because you're too likely to end up giving money to people who don't spend your money well or could be out-and-out crooks. Joel? Clark, this question comes from Greg and Sue in Minnesota, and they say, what do you think, Clark, of IPTV services? Are they legit and are they legal? Okay, IPTV, all that means is Internet Protocol Television, which is basically what any of the streaming services that are mainstream that you hear about, like Netflix, which, by the way, just raised prices again, um, you know, Amazon Prime, YouTube TV, Pluto, uh, Philo, any of the streaming services that you pay for, they are versions of Internet Protocol Television. But the term, when you see IPTV as a term, 
usually that's connected to pirating. So there are a lot of uh, people who sell stolen television content. And many are based outside the United States. In fact, I don't know that any are truly based in the United States. And so the television content you're getting where they say you get every sports channel in the world, every movie channel, you get everything for the low, low price of like nothing. They're all stealing. And you are receiving stolen property when you sign up with one of those services. I use the word services loosely that gives you a deal that's just so much better than the real prices that you should be fully aware that you are when you watch that content receiving stolen goods. Kim? Frank in Pennsylvania says, I've been seeing commercials for Charles Schwab's new program called Slice. It's a format of investing where you invest small bits of the market at the same time. So the obvious question is, is it worth it? In my case, I have a little discretionary income at age 67, but I'm still working full time and collecting social security. Wonderful question. So slices came about from Schwab because of the popularity of late of buying what are known as fractionals. That's taking a certain amount of money instead of buying uh, based on the share price of a stock, you buy little teeny bits of it based on the dollars you have. So typically with Schwab slices, I think it's five bucks and up to buy a slice of a share that might be $182 a share or $54 a share or whatever. So there are people that use the idea of buying fractionals to build their own diversified portfolios where you would buy little pieces of at least dozens of stocks so that your money has diversification to it. Um, I just simply buy index funds where I own hundreds or thousands of different companies all in one fund. But other people like the idea of picking individual stocks this way. And since the trading is now free to buy and sell stocks, if you want to do Schwab slices or anybody else's purchase of fractional shares, just remember, don't keep buying fractions of one stock in one company. That doesn't diversify your money. You want to buy many, many different companies in tiny fractional pieces or slices. Joel? Clark Jill in Illinois says, I've been looking into discount mobile phone providers. I'm wondering if any of them provide mobile hotspot capabilities on your phone. In normal times, I travel for work and really need that feature in order to get stuff done on my laptop. I have great news for you. The third tier, you know, the discounters that um, are what are called in the industry uh, virtual mobile phone operators, they all pretty much now offer hotspots on unlimited data plans. They'll give you so much you can do hotspot on plans that are metered where you buy so much data per month. They typically let you use that allocation of data on a hotspot or on your phone itself. And check out our guide to all these cheap plans that'll give the details on hotspots at Clark.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. 
Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. David is with us on the Clark Howard Show. And David, I'm so glad you're here with me because you're calling about something I've had an unusually large number of questions about over the last several months. Yes, sir. That's right. So you heard from a friend something that they think is all the rage, which is doing what to build up money for yourself. So my friend heard about an idea of buying whole life insurance and then borrowing from that um, when he needs to take a loan out instead of going through a normal bank. Then instead of paying interest back to the bank, he would theoretically be paying it back to himself um, and save or earning that interest and increasing the value of um, the life insurance policy, if I understand it correctly. Okay. So David, I don't know why this pitch is so hot this year, but I want to tell you, it is a very, very expensive way to create a savings account. Because when you buy a whole life insurance policy, it has massive commissions involved, huge commissions. And it usually takes, versus other things you can do with your money, takes about 12 to 16 years to break even. And it sounds so cool. You put this money into the life insurance policy, and then when you need funds, you just go borrow from it and it's pitched as a tax-free way to get access to your own money. And this is, this is uh, something that is absolutely over-pitched and not really accurate. Does your friend make a massive income, like more than uh, about 450000 a year? Uh, no, then, not that much. Then they are not at all appropriate for something like this. You have to get into extremely high earning brackets before it can start to make sense to look at whole life insurance as a vehicle that's a hybrid of a death policy and the ability to have access to funds while you're living. So if you need, do you need life insurance just to protect your loved ones? No, I don't. I'm not, I'm not sure if, if he does or feels like he does. Okay, and you don't need life insurance. There's nobody you're worried about protecting financially? No, sir. So for you, if you want to have money for your future, just do plain vanilla investing. And What do you do now to save for your future? Um, well, I max out my Roth IRA and then um, put as much as I can in uh, my company's 401k. That's great. So until you can max the employer 401k, 
uh, you got nothing else you should be doing. Okay. Since you don't have need a life insurance or whatever, it's going to be a much more efficient way for you to build money. And if in the 401k you have you have option for the Roth 401k, start contributing to that instead of the traditional. And then you'll have your Roth IRA that's post-tax. You'll have your 401k that's post-tax. And that's how you build a real solid foundation for yourself going forward in ultra-low-cost choices that are commission-free. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.